What's up, competitors? Welcome back to the Compete Everyday Podcast. My name is Jake Thompson. I'm your host here on the show. I'm the Chief Encouragement Officer at Compete Every Day. And I'm excited to get to spend a little time with you this morning. Know that it means so much to me that you are investing your most valuable thing, your time, into this show. And so we take great care. We put a lot of work into making sure each episode provides you with the value and the information to be a better competitor in your work, in your relationships, and in your life. So today, whether you're listening to the show on the treadmill, on your morning commute to the office, or in the morning with a cup of coffee, today we are diving into the importance of mental toughness. How can you build it? Is it something that certain people are born with and others can't build? Or is it something that's attainable for every one of us? That's part of the conversation I get into with Dr. Rob Bell, just an expert on mental performance. He's worked with Olympians. He's worked with PGA professionals. He's worked with the USTA national champions. And so Rob gives us a full picture view of mental toughness, a visualization of ways that we can better build our mental toughness, our focus, our resiliency in life. And so you're going to be able to gleam a lot of that information from this conversation uh, that we have today. Be sure to check out the show notes as well for the show as we've linked to a handful of Rob's books. Before I dive into this week's show, I want to remind you about two things. If you are not on the Compete Everyday email list, you missed out on the big announcement this week that our summer collection is now live. We have dropped 10 brand new items, including multiple new designs, men's tank tops, women's crops, women's tanks, Velcro patches, new gear, all is now available in the store as part of our summer collection. And as always, you can use the code PODCAST to get 15% off these limited edition releases while supplies last. The second thing that you've missed out on is the arena. Have you heard of the Theodore Roosevelt quote, the man in the arena? It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails daring so greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. That is the arena. That is what it means to be a competitor. I've shared on this podcast before that the stands and the sidelines are for cowards. Give me the competitors willing to step in the arena, knowing that victory is not guaranteed, knowing there is a chance things may not work out, but you're willing to bet on yourself. You're willing to go down swinging, knowing that this one and only shot at life is sure as hell worth competing for. With that theme, with that mindset, with that approach, we have rolled out the arena. The arena is our chance to help you grow into the person you were born to be, to become that type of competitor willing to step on the arena floor, willing to face the chance of being knocked down, knowing that you're going to get back up time and time again. We just introduced this small group coaching program. 
and it's available for anyone listening to the podcast and in the Compete Everyday community who desires to build their mental toughness. The topic of today's show, if you want to go further into that and building your mental toughness, if you want to learn how to stay focused on the important actions instead of being distracted by everything immediate, if you want to be a better competitor and a better leader in your work, your workouts, and in your home life, and most importantly, if you want to be held accountable to doing the work and becoming the type of person you say you want to be, then the arena is for you. Members receive access to our private community, our live monthly video trainings, accountability to become that type of competitor, a weekly guide to help you set your focus and intentions for every week, and the productivity resources and tools that I personally use to achieve my goals, build our business, and grow my life. And so if that sounds something that is of interest to you, if you want to be a competitor in the arena, Go to CompeteEveryday.com, click on the top menu button that says Coaching, and sign up for the Arena Small Group Coaching Program and be that person. The sidelines and the stands are for the cowards of life. The arena is for the competitors. Now, I'm excited to introduce to you Dr. Rob Bell as we dive into the importance of having and building mental toughness. Rob, how's it going today, man? Good, buddy. Thanks for having me, Jake. I appreciate it, man. You bet. You bet. We connected not too long back. We've got a ton of mutual friends and contacts in common. Uh, I had the honor of being on your podcast and was excited to get you on to the Compete Everyday podcast uh, because, let's be honest, you're the mental toughness coach. So take us back a little bit. Introduce yourself to our listeners, who you are, Dr. Rob Bell, what you do, uh, and then we'll dive into more of your journey. Sure, man. I mean, it, I guess it depends on how long we want the podcast to go, right? <laughs> um, I mean, I, what I love to do is I just love to work with individuals, helping them get to where they want to go. And you and I both know, I mean, it's going to be that mental peace, that grit, that resiliency, that mental toughness. Is, it's just the deciding factor of success and significance in life. So, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to work with professional athletes, collegiate athletes, and, uh, you know, elite juniors as well, man, even high school athletes. People ask, like, well, which one's the most fun? I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, being on PGA Tour, you get bright lights and, you know, uh, free belts, free milkshakes. I mean, that's fun. But it really doesn't matter to me. I just want everyone to have that feeling of those breakthrough moments, you know. And so it doesn't matter if it's on the PJ Tour or if it's somebody winning a state championship. I mean, it's that moment that helping people get to where they want to go. That's the most important. What, what inspired you to go that route? I'm always fascinated about uh, certain moments. And, and you like to call a lot of your changes the hinge moments. So yes. Well, thank you for that plug, man. Yeah, you bet. That. Tell us about. <laughs> yeah, man, I call it hinge moments because we don't know, you know, when that moment's going to hit, um, you know, early on. I mean, I was the type of player that would just think way too much. Um, and when things, you know, when we think too much, we get up on the wrong exit, man, you know? So when things were great, they were great, but there was no consistency at all in my performance and, and no one could ever help me out. You know, everyone is like, oh, well, you'll just get better at it. And you know, that just didn't work. 
And so I thought way too much. And then when I got to college, I had a really bad accident where I fall off a 80 foot cliff, you know, should have died, broke my arm, fractured my back, big gaping head wound. And it was that moment, that hinge moment that sports ended for me competitively at that time, baseball. And I found my fort, my first psychology class. And then when I took that psychology class, it was tattooed in my heart what it was that I was going to do with my life. And that was work with athletes, coaches, and teams, helping them perform their best when they matter the most. And that briefly is what started me down that path. So I knew early on, and I just felt it was a blessing to be able to follow that passion. I'm always fascinated really with a lot of this work. And so tell us, what because you do a lot with guys on the PGA tour and you mentioned you play baseball, but your background, what I, I find fascinating is it it's got a bunch of little uh, key moments. I would say you've had your hands in a few spaces. What golf seems to be recurring. What drew you into golf uh, originally? Man, golf, you know, I never played golf growing up at all. It really wasn't. It was, um, it wasn't until I was getting my master's degree and they asked me if for a graduate assistantship if I could teach golf. Well, sure, man, you know, how hard could it be? And so then, like anything, I mean, you know, that immersive learning, I immersed myself in the sport. There were a couple of golfers that were actually in that class, like they played for the team. They were interested in the mental game stuff. I was interested in learning the game. So it was kind of like this uh, reoccurring trade of skills. And they taught me that. And then when I went to the University of Tennessee, man, it just – started working with golfers and you know the one story I like to tell I mean I I ended up caddying for a player at one of the events um one of the first events that I that I ever worked at you know we started working together on a mental game I caddied for him and that was a hinge moment there but I mean I tell people this like the very first event I went to I got my I have my doctorate I'm like man all right that's good I go out to a web.com event and um you know I just I doubled my client base that, that first week. I mean, I still had zero clients at the first week and it was standing there and it was, you know, feeling lonely and not having any idea about how I'm going to get to work with somebody. And that was, that was the path, man. I was willing to do that. And, you know, anytime somebody starts working with the team, I mean, you don't have tons of players start rushing up wanting to talk to you. They got to learn that, you know, you know what you're talking about and that you can contribute. And um, that's, that's how I say, man, how the golf space always got into it. Why are the other sports always significant? Because, Jake, I loved every sport growing up. I really did. Every sport can – you know, we can – whatever we can learn in tennis, that can apply to swimming. What we can learn in swimming applies to wrestling and applies to golf. So that basis of mental toughness and grit and sports psychology are all the same no matter what the sport is. And anybody that's going to dedicate themselves to just being the best that they can be, I don't care if it's pogo stick or, you know, being a canopy pilot or a free climber, doesn't matter. Um, It's just being able to, man, have that appreciation. I I just felt that I always loved every single sport and whatever anybody was going to do. So I've been, and I was really blessed to work with so many different activities and people that were involved in performance. Well, one of the things I find fascinating that I'd love to talk and and shifting into that mental toughness is sports, because our listeners come from a variety of backgrounds, there are some that are still competitive in things like yourself with with running. Um, I know you're a marathoner. We've got racers. We've got people that CrossFit. We've got 
uh, people that do golf. We have a ton in that space, as well as we have team people. We have baseball players that listen to this show, football players. And the beauty in all sports is you 100% control where you focus, your attitude, your responses. In golf, it's you. Your caddy's there, but it's you. You're dealing with yourself. You're, you've got your own voices in your head. You're trying to control or silence after a great shot or a bad shot. In a team sport, you have the dynamic of other people there whose output, whose focus things also influence how well you do. Life is very much that same way. There's certain things we work on. It's just us. There's certain things we work on where it's a team dynamic. In your role going with athletes from a variety of sports, what do you see, I guess, are the similarities between the two, the individual pursuits, the team pursuits? Um, and then where do you really have people focus on the differences in those space to enhance their ability in those areas? And it kind of got a little pause there, Jake, and I do okay. apologize. For no, no, no worries. So we'll back it up. So individual sports, team sports, what are some of the things you yeah. see that people excel in both in terms of developing things they do to develop their mental toughness in both of those areas? Um, and then separately, I'll wait and ask you the second question in a minute on the, on the differences. So what are the similarities I see with both? Yeah. What do you I, see that people can do to develop their mental toughness, their resilience that's going to help them in both areas? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it is, is definitely the message that I think that we're sharing with others. You know, um, individual sport, it is just you. Team sport, you know, what, what happens is this, is when things are going great, there's not a big mental component to it. There's really not, right? I mean, we just play, we perform, we're in the zone, we're in the flow, we're just doing what we do, enjoying the moment. That's not a lot of mental peace that goes into it. It's only when we're faced with adversity. And so the mental uh, components, I think, that are similar from individual and team sports are when that voice starts to kick in and starts talking to us, what's that voice saying? And regardless of the sport, Right? We're going to face that adversity. And then I think it's, it's just a matter of do we get stuck inside our own head? Do we allow that to sap our confidence? Do we allow it um, you know, for us not to be in the moment, not for us to focus on the most important play, and that is this one? Man, I love what you said, right, because we get distracted by the unimportant we're either focused on the result, we're focused on too far ahead, we're not focused on just this play in this moment, or we're focused on something in the past that's trying to remind us of why we can't be successful. Those are the huge similarities, man, that I see from regardless of whatever the sport is going to be. And, and, then, that's, you know, and that's not something, and on that note, that's not something you just show up on game day and have, you walk into that boardroom and have. It, it's something you build over time, correct? Absolutely, man, because everyone has that, that voice, and it's just going to be what that voice is saying. The other part is, I mean, everyone has fear. It's people that say they don't have fear are just lying to you or trying to sell you something. Everyone has that fear, and it's, it's being able to go through that fear and to realize, you know, what is truth and what are lies. Um, and it's often, I mean, the lies always have a little bit of truth to it. Like if I mess up, that's going to be the worst thing ever. Well, the truth in that is when you mess up, yeah, it's going to sting and it's going to hurt, 
but it's not going to be the worst thing ever and you're still going to live and you're still going to get another opportunity. It's what you do after that. But there's always that little bit of, of truth when it comes to those lies. And that's what fear does, man, is fear tells us lies all the time. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's actively being able to train your mind and focus on, on practicing that. And what I love about that and what you shared is the importance of being there in the moment of not getting too far ahead, not replaying too much of what's behind. Now let's throw in the dynamic of people we work with, people we train with, their teammates. And sometimes when a teammate messes up, it also influences us. We still 100% have to control what we control in that moment, which is ourselves. But how do you work with those athletes who – their success on the field is, is also determined by things and people outside of their control. Yeah. So this is the part where, you know, in the past couple of years, I think my teaching, my instruction has probably taken a vastly different turn. And I try to do this in individual sports, but in team sports, it's a whole lot easier is when we've got whatever we're saying, there's this old saying, like we can't give away what we don't have. And I agree when it comes to like oranges, if I don't have oranges, I can't give oranges away. Yep. But a lot of times the way that we get confident, the way that we focus, the way that we're able to let go of mistakes, what we say to our teammates and what we say to other people, that's the way that we train our own mind is if I can tell you, because here's the thing, right, Jake, I can't tell myself, Hey, don't worry about it, Rob, just move on. I can't do that. Like my, my mind really struggles with that. But I can tell you, hey, Jake, don't worry about that play, man. Next play, that's what's most important. I can tell you that all day. And so the way that we actually coach ourselves up is how we're talking to our teammates and how we're talking to other people. Because if I'm telling you to never, ever give up, Jake, and I'm telling my other teammate here, hey, don't worry about that mistake. It's the next play. If I can tell my teammates that, I'm telling myself that the same exact time. So the way that we get it is to actually give it away then what we get is then we get that perspective. Then we get the ability to refocus. So that's the part that's so important is what I'm saying to my teammates. I'm saying to myself, and that's the key is I cannot help out others without also helping out myself. I find that very interesting. And so I want to ask you two points on that. The first, what was, I will go back to your, your phrase. What was that hinge moment for you that started to change your philosophy around this and your approach to this? Right. The philosophy was simply this. I was doing a half Ironman with very little training, didn't respect the race. I write about it in the book. Uh, no one gets there alone, but uh, you know, I had nothing to change the tire. I got a flat tire in that race. Nothing to change. It wouldn't know how to change it if I did, Jake. And a guy stops his own race and changes my tire. And the question that I asked myself after this hinge moment was would I have stopped? The answer up to that point in my life was no, I wouldn't have because this was a race. You do the absolute best that you can. That moment right there changed my philosophy towards everything because now I'm looking for those opportunities now where I can be of service to other people. I can be able to help people, whether that's going to be actually stopping for somebody or being able to offer that word of encouragement. And this is by design. It's not by default. Our default mode is protect yourself at all times. I mean, think about it, right? If we're driving down the side of the road, somebody's broken down. How long do we have to think about? Half second. Yeah. We've got to already be in that mindset before 
you were encountered with that. And that's why that whole philosophy on how I, I taught and, and how I managed the whole life changed. And that's the part where I think if we are of service to others, can focus on others, we're helping ourselves out at the same time. I love that. And, and that also ties into a lot of our conversation we had on your show about uh, the importance of gratitude and having that mm-hmm. mindset, why it's such a crucial part of not only being a competitor, but embracing that process and then helping lead others. And so if you want more insight on that, definitely go check out 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, uh, Dr. Rob Bell's podcast. You'll love that. But back to your what you mentioned earlier about speaking to teammates and how that's also encouraging yourself. I listened to an interview recently and I'm, I'm starting to blank on who specifically it was, but it was talking about the importance of affirmations and getting positive affirmations mm-hmm. in your life. And, and the guest on the show talked about looking into a mirror and saying you are to yourself versus the I am. He said, and he, he reason he positioned it. He said, if you say I am and your brain doesn't buy into it, it doesn't do you any good. But when you're telling someone else, what you believe or what you think about that, your brain picks it up a little bit differently, especially when you're looking in the mirror. I'm fascinated by this. And I know you probably have a lot more experience in this than I do. So I'm curious your thoughts on the self-affirmation process, because it seems to be positive affirmations seem to be pretty consistent across successful people, no matter the field they're in. Yeah. You know, it's a very interesting point. So I've asked a lot of players like, what's that negative voice? What does it say? Does it say you or does it say, does it call you by name? Does it say, Hey Jake, you know, you're not good enough to say, Hey Robert, Mr. Bell, what's that voice say? Because I always think a lot of times, and this, this really, for me, this comes from a faith perspective is I don't think a lot of times we're the ones that are putting those thoughts in our head. And so it's gotta be the opposite of, or the same of whatever that voice is going to say. So a lot of times I'm saying, man, you suck then I think that's the voice that's the voice that we have to be able to approach it when we look at ourselves and say that. That's how I think it becomes a lot more powerful. Same thing as visualization. Some people visualize through their own eyes. Some people visualize as if it's a video of themselves or like from the crowd perspective, whichever one I think is just going to be natural. I think we kind of cater to, but um, I'm always curious. And that's where I think we can identify first What's the negative voice say? What, you know, is it first person pronoun or is it second person? Like, what is it? And then I think we can identify the enemy and then to be able to uh, attack it with, with a kind of a different vigor. Awesome. I love that. One of the things you mentioned was visualization and, and having those different perspectives on seeing it. It's funny how you mentioned that because I've very much been almost both like the the certain things that I, I visualize in my work I see that third person as well as I see from my own what is the why I should say why is visualization so important for successful not only athletes but people that are achieving things in life yeah man I mean you know what are the feelings that we're gonna have um, and we got if we see ourselves doing good we do good and it's really difficult I think it's, it's difficult to overcome the self-limiting beliefs that we have, that we all have. Hey, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Hey, I'm, I'm at a high level, but I'm not at that level. We have to be able to see ourselves. Um, and then what's the feeling we want to have and be able to play that out. Man, I have a lot of people. What are you going to say to your teammates? What are they going to say to you? 
What's going to be your response to them? And not just like, oh, I'm going to be excited. What are you going to say? Are you talking smack? Are you talking trash? Like, what's the moment like? And I think to be able to play that out is, is really important. You know, like Jim Valvano, he had a practice every single year where they practiced cutting down the nets. And that was the whole practice. I think, you know, it's just we see ourselves doing good. And, you know, people talk about incorporating all the other senses in it. And I agree with that, man. Like, what's the feeling we're going to have? And then to be able to get in that moment, because, you know, same thing, mind doesn't really recognize whether it's real or imagined practice. And that part's, that part's key. And I think that's the part what helps enhance our own self-belief and our own self-image. I love that. And so the last question, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, I got to elaborate on this part too, yeah. right? Let's say people aren't, they're not too attentive to that, right? I just can't do it in my own mind then what I want them to do is, you know, create their own highlight reel of themselves and then just be able to play that and watch that because that's you. And if you can't do a highlight reel of yourself, then be able to watch people that you know you're as good as. And then what happens is, is confidence is contagious, man. If they can do it, I can do it as well. I mean, the human highlight reel, right? Like Dominique Wilkins, man, he would watch that all the time of his dunks and everything that he's doing. So we watch other people having success that should give us belief that we can be successful as well. That's, that's fantastic. The, the fine line I'm curious about with you is when it comes to achieving certain goals and I've read studies of where if we start to behave or talk about our goals as if we've achieved them, we lose some of that motivation to actually go achieve them because we felt the feelings without having to do all the work visualization is different though it, it's priming our brains for that moment would you say that's the difference between the two um, or what that fine line is between losing motivation because we're telling our brain we've already achieved a goal we haven't versus visualizing where we're going to be one day to almost look for those moments embrace that moment yeah that's a good one man so that's like a 95 mile an hour slider. That I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It was one of those, it was one of the questions that I've heard continually come up, but I know the importance of visualization. It was something I struggled with for a while uh, of getting to that point to be able to visualize, at least in my speaking career, like I know where I'm going. I know what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like. And so when those studies come up, I'm fascinated and you are the doctor. You are the one that I, I trust the opinion on a mental toughness. And part of that is the ability to rebound from the setback, the disappointment. How much can you get back to zero? How, how quickly can you get back to focus? Which when you lose the motivation going after a goal, like, a, hey, I'm going to run a marathon. Tell everybody you run a marathon. Everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then race day shows up. You're like, I don't really want to run it. Like, I already feel like I've, I've achieved it kind of thing versus – I'm visualizing the race. I know at this point, I know at this point, I know this is where I'm going to go. I know this is the finish line. I'm ready to run. Yeah. So I'm not a big goal guy. And the reason why I'm not is because what's the skill that we're really addressing when we set goals? Number one, if people talk about smart goals, I tune off immediately. I hate smart goals. I cannot stand it. Right. Cause what are we trying to do? We're trying to set goals that are, measurable and realistic i'm not into that man i'm into themes i'm into what's what's the theme that you want to approach for today i mean yours isn't you know compete for life it's compete every day so it's one day 
And what I see is the reason why I'm in this field and not just general psychology is because motivation is the only skill that goals really do. You know, if you have a focus of where you want to go, then that's a different type of skill on your focus. But if we get that motivation and how bad we want it, we're in touch with our why, I don't see that as being a barrier. So I'm not into a whole lot of being able to set goals, man. I'm into being able to set visions and being able to set themes. If we've got a vision about where we want to go, we don't know what that path looks like, man. But we know the direction we have to go in, and no matter what it takes, we will get there. That's motivation. And so we're just trying to set benchmarks and stuff. That's why I'm not really being into goals, period. I'm more into visions, into the themes that we want to approach that stuff. I love um, that because that's so back about back to that original process. point. Look, if we're setting goals, and I don't want to tell people that because of the feeling I'm going to have, I think it's just kind of a mental gymnastics I'm playing with myself. And that doesn't really do us any good. You know, if we feel we got a dream and we got to protect it, do that. If we feel I got to share it with others to help me motivate it, then do that. Um, you know, so that's where that's, that becomes more of an art than it does with the science. But I'm, I'm just a huge believer that once you set your mind to something and you achieve it, if you're the type there, then motivation isn't the struggle for you. That's not going to be the struggle. It's going to be how you bounce back from the mistakes and the adversity. I love that. I, I love that. I appreciate you sharing that because it sounds or echoes a lot of what we talked about on the show recently in terms of the process and, and, and not yes. setting the smart goals, but what is your daily process? What are your daily habits? What are your daily actions, intentional actions that put you in a better position tomorrow? It's, it's the competing every day. We talked about it a few times. You have a few awesome books that are out and about that range from mental toughness to parenting kids with mental toughness that I know is a big deal with our audience. Um, you're in the throes of writing a new one as well. Uh, one, what inspired you to write your six books? And then I'm curious, it's going to be like picking your favorite child. What's your favorite one? So, I mean, the, I always just felt I had something to say and I felt I could say it in a good, a good manner Two, um, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated with learning and I love learning. I love history. I love being able to take and look at case studies of people that were successful, people that had significance in their life that made impacts on others and to be able to go down that journey and then just see, well, what was it, you know, and marinating my mind with that piece what we have to do um and i just love being able to to work with others and be able to help people get to where they want to go i felt like being able to write that and be able to say it was important my favorite book i mean I, i'd probably say it's no one gets there alone because that was the book that i didn't intend to write and that wasn't how it was supposed to come out um but on top of that that has that one changed my philosophy for everything but i have to go back to the hinge because the hinge was a thought that just came together and that totally made sense and looked at the importance of mental toughness. What's the importance of mental toughness is that it only takes one, only takes one person, one moment, one event, all the difference in our lives. We just don't know when that's coming. So that's the piece right there. That's what's going to connect us with who we're going to become. That's the real importance of mental toughness is if we go through this practice saying, hey, doesn't matter, not that important, 
then the hinge can't connect that way and it won't connect that way. That's the importance of treating every person that we meet as a possible hinge person. Every, every uh, conversation that we have is a life-changing conversation. And now we approach that with the type of focus and vigor and enthusiasm that we need to approach every single day. Like you preach so much, man. That's why I, you know, the hinge a lot of times, man, still becomes my favorite. Cause that is true and tested, man. You look back at any important competition, any important life, one moment made all the difference. I love it. I love it. And we'll be linking to all of your books in the show notes so people can check them out. Uh, like we shared, he has six. He's working on another one as well right now that hopefully we'll have out not too far off uh, after the podcast airs or if you're catching this at a later date, uh, we'll have it added into the show notes. Uh, Rob, how can people get connected and follow along more of your work on mental toughness? Oh, well, I appreciate that, Jake. I mean, one, man, I think you mentioned it. I mean, your episode on 15 minutes of mental toughness, that was my podcast. I thought your episode was fantastic. I always take something from every guest. And I was able to apply that. Uh, but also, you know, my website's drrobbell.com and on Twitter, man, that's where my, uh, uh, my ADD comes out, man. It's just at Dr. Rob Bell. Love it. Love it. And we will connect to not only the books, but his website, his podcast, social media. Uh, so give Dr. Rob Bell a follow, check out his website, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, our conversation was about the importance of gratitude, which was something I struggled with as a competitor. Uh, so you'll get a lot of great insight from there, but he's had some fantastic guests, fantastic conversations, uh, well worth your time. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Thanks, Jake, man. I really appreciate it, buddy. Thanks again, competitors, for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday podcast. As always, get in touch with the show at podcast at competeeveryday.com and then find past episodes, get plugged into the community, the brand, and everything else at competeeveryday.com slash start here. Can't wait to see you next week. Until then, keep competing every single day for your life. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. Visit CompeteEverydayPodcast.com to learn how you can get connected with other everyday competitors. Contact the show and find resources to help compete for your best life.